Good afternoon. Welcome to our Talent and Growth podcast and webinar series. Thank you very much if you're tuning in on LinkedIn Live. And thank you just as much if you are locking on uh, via Spotify or Apple or Google, however you consume your podcasts on the catch up. Um, today we're talking um, something which I think is particularly relevant right now, um, that being the use of uh, TA metrics and turning them into commercial language. And I think at this time in the world when there is so much happening and there's unfortunately so many good TA people on the market, I see this as a, as a skill which we can all get better at uh, and, and learn more about and hopefully it could be help us be, even, be even more effective in our jobs we do now or our future jobs as well. Um, so we're going to go dive into this and hopefully get a few some good takeaways to take with us after. Um, so let's go to our guests and just get some introductions. So Luke, do you want to give us a quick introduction to who you are and what you do? Yeah, thanks, Paul. So um, so my name's Luke. So I'm currently head of people and talent at a company called Clearglass Analytics. So uh, we're a fintech company that face off into the investment management industry. Um, I've been in the people and talent space for, for over eight years now, um, cut my teeth in agency recruitment, moved to the pattern for most people, I think. Um, and then I transitioned into more of a people focus role around four years ago. Um, and I was a people partner for uh, quite a large insure tech company called Simply Business, where I was partnering with around a third of the business, primarily on their commercial uh, elements of the business. And then just around two years ago, I came here to Clearglass, where I was kind of brought in to set up everything people and talent uh, for the business. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Luke. Shafali, if you give us a little intro to yourself and what you do. Thanks so much, Paul. Um, my name is Shafali Davda-Banot. Um, I'm the head of talent at Dockler. Um, Dockler provide virtual wards uh, with patients kind of being monitored remotely by specialist clinicians in their own home. Um, and this is fantastic because, of course, it reduces emergency admissions by at least a third um, and, and, of course, able to release and discharge patients quickly. And, and that, in large, is the mission of the organisation. Um, and I joined there four months ago. Um, prior to that, I've worked with other um, digital health organisations, namely Babylon Health, um, and um, a short stint at a uh, company called Helios, um, and, and very much kind of operating for uh, just over a decade within people and talent, um, and, and very much enjoying my time at Doppler. Thank you very much, Farley. And last but not least, Francesca. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Um, I'm Francesca and I'm head of talent at Conductor, which is a B2B SaaS startup. It's a developer tooling product, so I won't go into too much into the details. Um, but basically, we help developers with a data streaming platform called Apache Kafka. I've been in talent for about eight years, um, similar to, to Luke and Shafali, and um, really startups have been my bread and butter. Um, even now, it's a space I really, really enjoy. Um, and we'll stop it there. Thank you very much. Thanks, Francesca. And look, really, really great to have you all today. And hopefully we can dissect this issue a little bit and get the balance right between the, the effective talent metrics out there and then how we commercialise those for the, the business leaders and help us work with them in a better way. So, uh, Francesca, let, let's start with you, if that's OK. So um, for you, how can talent metrics be effectively used to identify and address skills gaps within a company? And then how can we use this info to be conveyed to stakeholders? Gosh, I mean, there's so many, there's so many ways. And I think talent metrics are often underutilized in this particular sense. I think, I think one thing I would say is maybe looking at 
identifying trends. Are we seeing a particular department that's consistently seeing maybe it's low performance ratings or maybe it's a high staff turnover? And I think sometimes that, um, you know, everything else will be looked at. Maybe, or maybe the management's suffering or maybe the team is, is, I don't know, not communicating well. But actually, maybe it is just a consequence of a, of a skilled gap. And actually taking a look at that is something that I think is, is hugely important um, when it comes to talent. But it's something that I think can be easily skipped over, for sure. Fantastic. Thanks, Francesca. Luke, what about you? Um, I, I think for me, you know, understanding the business, like how, how the business works, how the business makes money, um, who the clients are, what the processes are, et cetera, that you have is is crucial. And, and I think when I first stepped in into internal recruitment, it was very much about time to hire, um, you know, how, how slick were our processes, what was the feedback we were getting from candidates. But um, you learn quite quickly that that's perhaps not what your stakeholders want to un understand all the time. It's important and it's obviously big for your brand and it's a reflection of, of who you are as the people inside the business. But also understanding the impact that hires have and then being able to portray that in an interview process to a candidate to explain, you know, if you do come into this business, especially in an organization the size I'm in at the moment, where we're kind of sub 30 people, um, people can have huge impacts on the business. And that can be the you know bottom line revenue that can be, um, you know, like a, a big initiative that just completely changes something for the business in the space of weeks, months, years. Um, I think that is really crucial. And when you can communicate that in a way to hiring managers, in a way to your stakeholders, in terms of the people that you're bringing through the process, as opposed to, you know, I've got 10 candidates at this stage, I've got five at this stage and two at this stage, you, you learn quite quickly in internal recruitment that that doesn't really mean a lot. So you need to un create a language immediately um, and, and make that as a metric, a way that you can show your stakeholders that you're, you're making the right movements in, in the process. You mentioned uh, time to hire, Luke. How how useful a metric do you think that is? I, I think um, being in in large organisations that I've been in, I think it it plays a part in terms of you know board packs that you you put together, and 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 in terms of giving those people that are really far removed from a process an understanding of of what's exactly going on. When you're more granular and you're dealing in one to ones, um, or, or maybe you've got a very small team that you lead. I think time to hire is still important to have as, as an ongoing metric, but I don't think it's necessarily the full picture. I, I think in terms of the conversions, uh, in terms of the feedback, what are the things that are holding people up at different stages will probably tell you a much better way of, of how you can solve the problem as opposed to, can we do this quicker? I, I think we can all agree that speed is important and it definitely, um, you know, time kills deals. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a well-known adage. Um, but I, I think that there's other things that you can do to influence the process that are probably more important. So I'll probably put it as something you should keep consistent at, but you shouldn't look at it as, Oh, if, if this is down, that's the only reason why things aren't progressing. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I think, um, for me, I, I, I'm, I'm torn with time to hire. It's something I use for our business as a metric we're quite proud of. But at the mm. same time, if your focus and a lot of businesses focuses on getting diversity hiring right, um, then you need to kind of be prepared that that time to hire is going to be longer, a, a longer game. And actually, sometimes actually promoting a quick time to hire can be counterproductive for me to get in that diversity hiring right. So, so, so it's an interesting debate. Um, but Shefali, um, for yourself, what, what, for you, what, what talent metrics can be effectively used to identify and address those skill gaps? What, what stands out to you? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I really do echo kind of what Luke has said in terms of kind of a being malleable to your stakeholders, um, you know, what investors are looking for versus what your C-level and leaders and founders are looking for might be slightly different. Um, and something that I've actually implemented uh, at Dockler within the first four months is trying to do a bit of a talent audit. So this isn't necessarily people kind of coming into the business. This is people that who are already in the business um, creating impact day to day. You know, what skills do they have and where are their gaps if there are any? Um, and, and it's really, really normal to have gaps. Um, of course, not everyone has every everything and every skill, especially in a scale up where what you were looking for six months ago may have drastically changed based on new customers, um, new clients, etc. So it's kind of having this constant conversation um, with the leaders of the business to understand what we're looking for in terms of talent and skills and what we've currently got at the moment. And something that we do um, here at Dockler is do a quarterly performance review. Um, and, and that's all score-based um, and therefore you do get data um, from that to be able to analyze, um, you know, what the gaps are, um, where training may be required. Um, and these are performance reviews that are self-evaluated, peer reviews, um, manager reviews, um, and at large, they also get to say what type of training they think um, they need as um, people impacting the business. But also, um, you know, every, every layer has that. So managers have that conversation, peers have that conversation um, as well. Um, we're also implementing actually a new HR system that will help enable us to bring um, kind of the whole story together. And I, again, alluding to Luke's point, it, it really comes down to kind of what the company mission, the company goals are, or the OKRs for, for kind of that quarter. Um, and tying those all in together to understand what skills might be needed and, and how we're looking to achieve that. Um, and I think having those kind of uh, performance metrics um, are important for, for both an evaluation point of view um, but but also understanding on an audit point of view what skills are needed and, and how to then go about addressing those. Do you think quarterly is a good, I suppose, the, a, a good kind of time period to kind of review and look through these things as kind of a, as a stand for businesses? We've actually, it's a good question because it can get quite laborious filling out forms um, and, and even so kind of three layers. The way I've designed it at Doctor is that um, every half year we have a 360 review, so that includes peer feedback, um, and um, kind of twice um, we have it just as a self-evaluation and, and a management uh, review. So hopefully there isn't too much time spent on evaluations and form filling and, and, and red tape per se. Um, but I think quarterly ties in quite nicely um, with OKRs and kind of objectives and goals, um, certainly in a scale up where I know certainly from working at several startups and scale-ups that things do change quarterly, um, if not more often. So it's important to have those check-ins. Um, and moreover, actually, when we go back to analysis of surveys from employees, they want feedback. They want to know what's happening in, in the wider company such that their department's goals are outlined as X and therefore their personal goals are Y. Um, and having that kind of broader objective that's then broken down 
I, I think is really important, um, especially in scale-ups. Yeah, agreed. Like it. Um, Francesca, so if we move on, have you got any examples of how companies have used data-driven recruitment strategies to optimise their hiring processes, cut costs, improve outcomes? You've got any kind of success stories to help paint a picture for us? Yes, I think, to be honest, it probably relates to time to hire would be the the, the stat I'm thinking about. But just, just going back quickly onto Shafali's point in terms of scale-ups and the conversation changing so so often and quarterly, I think one thing I'm noticing at the moment, which maybe makes my stat that I'm about to say maybe a little less relevant than maybe it would have been maybe a year and a half ago, is I think time to hire and its importance is, is potentially changing a little during this period where we are finding maybe a lot more talent on the market um, than normal. And actually, maybe we have more options to play with, um, which is fun. But I also appreciate Luke's point, you know, time to hire. Yes, it can definitely kill a process very quickly when you are taking way too long with a candidate. But at the same time, I do think um, thinking about startups and scale ups in particular, where you're, you're more likely to have maybe a closer relationship with the people involved. Um, I think it can be really beneficial to understand where's the benefit here? Is, is the benefit actually that I hurry this candidate along and, and get them wrapped in two weeks? Or is it actually, I need to pace it out a little bit and have the hiring manager meet, I don't know, X, Y, Z number of candidates first. Um, but I think in terms of a success story, one thing I found in the past um, was a previous startup called Sneak. We were, this was in the time of rapid scaling, <laughs> like crazy. So we really were trying to hurry our time to hire. And I think one thing we found was, we needed to we needed to help our stakeholders and our interviewers understand that interviewing was really really important to their role it wasn't just something that we are begging you to do it, it was a requirement and it was seen even from the top down that this is something we want you to spend your time in so one thing we did was we um, we actually kind of might sound a little bit strict, but we actually looked at every different level and kind of we looked at the time commitment that we would expect per level of employee for interviewing at the time and made sure that they they were aware of that and that they had the company's back in, which I think was really important because I think um, there had been issues where I think they felt like, oh, gosh, I'm. I, this is taking time away from other tasks and this will this will affect my own performance review. Whereas actually, no, hiring is something really, really important across the company. Um, we wanted to, to communicate that effectively. So that that strategy worked really, really well in terms of just breaking down the time. This is the percentage of time each week you can spend interviewing. That's ideal for us. Um, so that's just one small success story. No, good one. Yeah, I appreciate that. Luke, what about you? Yeah, I think going back to one of the, the points you made earlier, Paul, around uh, kind of the optionality, I think also um, we mentioned at the beginning about, you know, this is quite a hot topic at the moment. I think a lot of people I've seen from LinkedIn, at least, um, are in a position where perhaps, unfortunately, they're looking for work at the moment and they're talking quite openly about um, how they're, they're kind of selling their experience and what the value add that they can have. And if, if you find yourself either fortunately in, in a position in a company that's open-minded to this or you've kind of put in that work yourself to, to develop um, a relationship with hiring managers and, and maybe your, your own manager if you're a recruiter within a wider team, um, is, is to really start any conversation about hiring around exactly the impact that it's going to have if, you know, depending on whether you make this hire or not within a certain time frame is one thing. But what is, what is the kind of the impact of just not having that hire at all? And it's quite 
easy, I, f I find at least anyway, in, in the, the last few companies I've worked in for a hiring manager or a C-suite member or so, just anyone in, in a team to really be able to come back, back to you and say, well, if we don't have this person, this won't happen or we won't deliver this, we'll, we'll lose this client or we won't get these clients. And when, you, when you're able to kind of show them that you, you understand this more than just, you know, I'm going to go out and find you this person, I'll come back with this person, we'll shake hands, it's done, we move on and I'll see you next time we need to hire. It should be more about, okay, well, let's, let's lay out all the options here that we have. Um, one thing you'll find is if, if you don't explore the other options around internal promotions, uh, in terms of internal mobility, upskilling, training, as, as Shafali mentioned earlier, you're going to quite quickly find yourself as an internal recruiter as well, being left out of the picture. And what I mean by that is that people are feeling these pains firsthand themselves. You've, you've got this kind of KPI or this metric, this goal that you have to fill this role. And that's a clear indicator of how well you're performing. But these people really feel this day to day. They have a pain where they have to work longer hours. They're having to lean more on people and, and, and push and push and push more on them. What will happen ordinarily is, especially if, if you work in, in a small organization, is people will solve these problems for themselves. They'll start to do these things. They'll start to kick in internal mobility. They'll start to promote people. They'll start to upskill people or ask people in other teams around the business to step in. If you're not exploring that immediately, you're not showing your worth as someone who can do that, it's also then going to kick you out of that process, I say, and then you'll go away, you'll do all this great work, you'll look at your time to hire, you'll look at how many people you've got in each and every stage, and the problem might solve itself. So I think it's crucial when you're trying to make that jump from, you know, just any old recruiter to someone who can be really kind of respected um, and kind of, you know, your opinion listened to in the business that is probably the turning point, I think, where you lay out all the options from, from the get-go. You talk about kind of short-term, long-term, because so, as we say, some of these roles just aren't possible to turn around in days and weeks. They might take much longer, and we just know people won't allow that to happen if, if they can do something else about it. So, again, big big metric for me is have you explored all the options and how much have you kind of fulfilled all, all those um, options from an exploration perspective? I think the understanding of that short-term to long-term game is, I digress a little bit, um, one of the big things you need to get your head around when you transition from agency to in-house, uh, which is, I know I know you did, Luke, and I didn't, I'm sure maybe you, the other two did, I don't know, but um, it's a very common route. Do you think that this kind of mind, uh, this this change in how your mind works when you go in-house, do you think that's a, that's a big factor with that? Most definitely. I mean, I, I think I, that was one of the first ever bits of feedback that shocked me some uh, five years ago when someone uh, turned around to me, my, one of the hiring managers I worked with and said, you know, you're treating this like an agency recruiter. And, you know, and I was like, well, you know, that was me five minutes ago. But, you know, you do, you do take that kind of thing to heart because you do know that there is a switch and, um, you know, what you need to understand about the business once you're inside and once you have all of this information you know and one of the things i always think about when i tell this to anyone in any field but for talent it's particularly important is when you're new take full advantage of that ask all the questions you know you can you can act like you don't know anything because everyone thinks that's how you're going to be anyway right if you go in and you think you know i know this i know that i'm just going to go away and fill these roles and i'm going to be happy I'm going to get promoted and all this other stuff it just won't happen like that. So yeah, I definitely think there's a mindset switch where you go, okay, 
whereas before they were my client and I was kind of always having to know everything and be on top of everything, have to even know what the, the feedback is and whether they want to join you before I maybe even know. Now it's, you know, we're, we're on a, you know, we're a team now, you know, we're working together, we're collaborating, we're going to have to do, um, you know, a team effort to get this person in, into the business. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Lou. Uh, Shivali, um, anything for you that stands out in terms of an example of how the data-driven recruitment strategies have helped hiring process, reduce costs, outcomes in any form? Yeah, absolutely. Um, lots of ideas and examples going through my head right now. But but I think just as, as a basis, it's really, really important to have kind of tangible facts and stats to hand in order to kind of make certain hiring decisions and also to then present that and align with leaders of, of the business and, and C-suite. Um, and, and I'm just thinking of kind of two really clear examples in my experience. Um, I, I worked with Babylon Health for, for two and a half years whilst they were on um, a massive kind of growth trajectory. Um, and, and the kind of term was coined of blitz scaling. Um, and, and kind of, again, alluding to Luke's point, this was almost like acting like a recruitment agency, but in an internal function, because it was all about speed of hiring and, and getting the right people in at high quality. But really, speed was the element here. And that was really, really clear from um, all of the leaders of the business. And when speed is the kind of utmost priority, you then ask the question, as talent um, should to their leaders and to their stakeholders is how much do they then want to spend, you know, because an internal function can only handle so much on delivery and therefore cost per hire may also go up if the expectation of speed of hiring goes up. Um, and on the converse here at, you know, Dockler, we're taking a real pragmatic approach um, and a real steady and conscious hiring approach where we're thinking kind of longer term and the impact of the hire, um, thinking about career ladders um, almost as if we're kind of as, as in when we're interviewing them as well. So um, kind of a, a very kind of steady approach to hiring. Where will this person fit into the organisation? What impact will they directly have to either a better client or customer experience or to a patient's experience? Um, and really what that then in turn means is that we can then reduce cost per hire. So kind of being here for a few months, we've reduced the cost per hire dramatically um, in the last four to five months. And that's because we've really aligned on what the business needs are now. So whilst we need people quickly, it's it's not blitz scaling. It's not, you know, a, a, a kind of a rocket ship, you know, where we're looking to hire people within two weeks. We don't mind spending four weeks to find the right person. And that's absolutely fine. Um, and, and there's a real people plan in place, you know, in collaboration with finance to ensure that we're pipelining um, and also factoring in attrition rates as well, which is a really interesting point that we've not really covered so far um, amongst our kind of data metrics but employee turnover has a massive impact on hiring plans um and and therefore cost per hire and time to hire as well i'm going to ask a question about employee turnover in a second but just just quick one and this is shifana this isn't uh, i don't think there's a necessarily a right answer to this i think it differs with each business but how do you work out cost per hire 
Um, that, that's a good question. Um, and it is different for each business. I've, I've kind of created um, a little spreadsheet with all of the fixed costs um, that we have. So we've got LinkedIn Recruiter um, and we pay monthly for that. Um, we also have a set budget for um, jobs um, that are advertised. So we have that assigned. Um, we used to use agencies, so I have a section for that. I also have a proportion of my time. I think I've, I've kind of segmented off 25% of my um, basic salary, which I, of course I won't share <laughs> on the podcast. Um, <laughs> um, and and we've got, uh, I've also assigned um, people operations salary in, in that as well. And this is someone that helps with the release of contracts uh, and, and all the kind of back end side of things. Um, including our ATS and our HR system as well. So I kind of have a set um, kind of figure and then divide that by um, the number of hires made. Does anybody do, uh, Luke and Francesca, do you do anything additional to that in terms of cost per hire? Because it's something I, I'm quite interested in. Francesca, do you, any, do, you do the same, less or, or, or more than that? Um, yeah, very similar, breaking down the cost um, per tool or time as well I think for me cost per hire as well um I try to break it down so that if we are if there is turnover or suspected turnover break it down to look at okay how long is this like role likely to remain unfilled or just empty if it's a c-level position god <laughs> who knows how many months it could be if it's a junior position the cost might be quite low um but I think that's one thing that at conductor we you know we're starting to think about uh more and more as, as we are growing as a business as well what does that internal cost look like to the to the teams um who are lo losing i don't know a leader or just a, a, a colleague etc um it's quite hard to quantify i guess if i was going to get really granular i'd maybe look at salaries or an input per day um but at the moment I'm, I'm trying to look at just the bigger picture really i gotcha luke anything to add on that one uh, no, I've, I think to be fair, it's it's all very similar. I think for me, because um, I've I've managed kind of almost all the hiring on on my own. I mean that it's quite easy to work out um, those costs. There's been a little bit of agency use against to factor that in. One thing I would add is when when I was at Simply Business, um, we went from something around like 400 people to 800 people in about a year and a half. Um, and what we found is as our our finance team just kind of matured more, and and we had finance business partners for um, each area. One thing that started to um, kind of become apparent to me is that if a hire, if a hire was open for a long time, um, you know, we're a very small team, so not maybe as extreme as uh, Shafali <laughs> was explaining with Babylon, but um, it, it felt like that at times. What we would find is if a role had been open for a amount of time, finance would view that actually as um, money made. So because a role, because we were still operating and, and our revenues were increasing, the same same this cost that they had budgeted in a year in the past um for growth had just been sat there so every month it's kind of like as someone's salary is getting added in so you go well we really need that role right now and we've got all these other things that we know we do really well directly um and organically so why don't we just add all these you know monthly payments up and that can be an agency fee and a lot of the time it came in at a fraction of, of the money that we had accumulated because this money was kind of um, from a business, wider business perspective, was being paid somewhere, but it wasn't actually going anywhere. So at the end of the year, it would have just kind of been written off as yeah. this is just excess money. So that would be a, like a, a bit of a relief 
kind of uh, lever that we would pull as a TA team from time to time to say, we're about to get this role. We know it's super tricky. Maybe it's like UX design or something like that. Let's just get an agency on that because if we kind of drop what we're doing now, it's just not going to, it's not going to kind of um, pan out as something that's really a useful um, use of our time. It's really interesting you shared that because my next thing I was going to ask was, is anybody looking at cost of not hiring? So if you're looking, for instance, to hire an account executive who who would be you target to bring in 500 grand each year, if you're looking at, oh, not hiring for 30 days, it's going to cost this, not hiring for six days, it's going to cost this. Has anybody looked at that at all? We we have, we have. Um, we kind of did a big exercise of this kind of the first um, quarter of this year. But I think it's really interesting to hear Luke's point because I think there is always that tug of war between finance wanting to save money and seeing seeing a salary gap as, as no bad thing, you know, that's just extra, um, which I think it's it's great that you turned that into you know agency usage um because it doesn't doesn't always happen unfortunately um but then you also have that other side where your other stakeholders are saying you know i am losing time and money effectively by not having this role filled um so i just thought it was just a really interesting point because you have so many different sides um coming at you there with different teams mm. we've we've experienced the same so we um we're looking at a pragmatic view on hiring and and whilst obviously the goal is um for most businesses who have an internal function to keep things in-house you know we are in the process of looking at okay if we are in a situation where things are going to start affecting the business i.e not delivering to a client on time um and, and not kind of keeping to set slas then then let's have a backup plan let's have a talent consultancy um you know, no plugs, of course, Paul, but, you know, <laughs> you know, someone like the Amino group <laughs> who could, of course, um, come in and, and quickly troubleshoot because the cost of not having that person is much higher, either reputationally or, of course, directly in line with revenue. Um, so it's really important to have that kind of um, fallback. And, of course, we are fortunate that we that we have quite a robust um, kind of ecosystem within talent that we can kind of lean on that. Um, and, and that's something that we definitely are looking to do um, at Doppler as well. Thanks, Farley. Your check is in the post. Luke, did you have something that you want to share on that? Yeah, I'd say from from where I am um, right now in, in Clearglass, so I'm, I'm an exec member, so I sit with all the people that go out and do sales, you know, run the entire sales process in the business. So for me on a weekly basis as well, it's, it's quite... Um, obvious and it's it's very um kind of immediate the impact that someone being there or not being there can have and i think previous roles where you know been slightly further removed it's it's always i think trickled down in terms of this is the impact we can have and i'm very fortunate as i say to spend a lot of time with hiring managers one-on-one on a weekly basis or fortnightly basis as well and yeah that cost of not having someone especially when you have um either a business like simply business where i was before where they have lots of different things going on partnerships with huge brands that bring in you know x revenue you've got or x customers um you've got our internal you know insurance product offering that they have there and also then the aggregate platform which brings in others it's very easy for someone to almost kind of say to you straight up you know if we don't have this person this doesn't happen and that's not just in sales either i find that it can also be more the case just on a delivery type role it can be on something to do with engineering you know things can't be built product things can't be 
um, created and and ideated either. So um, I think when you, as I was going back to like my my first point, once you have that connection with with the business and once you can present yourself in a way that shows them i do understand you know and i want to understand because it's going to make my my job easier my life easier and we'll work better together it's very easy to kind of for both you and the stakeholder to then kind of you know lean into that and say if we don't do this this is the outcome and you understand it whereas if you're not taking that sort of care or you're not having those sorts of conversations i think it can be lost on you quite quite easily yeah, with you, with you. Um, Shafali, you mentioned earlier around, um, I think you mentioned earlier around uh, employee turnover. So my, one of my questions I was going to ask was around um, how can we use workforce analytics to predict and mitigate risks related to that and then its impact on business continuity? Um, yeah, look, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. I think when it comes to turnover, it it's difficult. A, a, a lot of people um, don't necessarily give off signs that they want to leave and and this is why i think having those pulse polls or um surveys quarterly surveys or or even more regularly kind of bite-sized surveys is really important to understand the employee engagement levels um and and where employees are at and then not just taking those kind of results and, and not doing with them anything with them but also then creating almost a, an action plan that you share um, amongst those who've um, filled out the survey um, and, and creating a working progress to say, okay, this is the problem and we want to fix it. We identify that this isn't right. For example, um, pension is statutory and, and, you know, actually we'd like to go to an employer that's taking their benefits further seriously than you are. So, kind of creating a mini project um, with set deadlines that the whole business holds you accountable for, I think um, definitely boosts retention because it shows interest levels um, from, from high level um, that there's change um, about to come about and, and business change about to be seen. Um, I was having a look at some stats earlier around um, employee kind of retention and ter- turnover. And um, I read somewhere, and don't hold me to where I read it, but I read somewhere that 68% of employees who quit could have been retained. Um, and and following on from that, I was also kind of thinking about past experiences. Um, and, and I remember someone saying to me, people often leave managers, not necessarily a business mm-hmm. um, and, and what the business does. And, and I think that those are two really important points, because if if we have a good person who wants to leave because of their manager, um, I think that could be resolved quite quickly but it's about having open communication within a business to be able to unfold that whether that be kind of asynchronously through surveys and polls or through um buddy a buddy system um or through um a kind of a founder's coffee so in startups this is quite a common kind of ground now where you can have a a one-to-one um coffee with uh, one of the founders of business and be able to share with them you know some of the issues that you're facing um in in a really natural and neutral space um and that not be kind of judged upon um and, and this is having trust in your hiring process as well to say that whilst that person might not get along with their manager this person should stay um for their own merits and so how can we kind of internally mobilize them 
So there's a few things linking here. There's the employee turnover piece, but also how can we keep the hire, keep them further engaged? Um, and, and do we need to look at different programs to be able to do that? Do we need to look at internal mobility? Should we be looking at refining our benefits program? Do we need to increase our flexibility? Um, is it that we're not doing um, enough for, for diversity and inclusion in the workplace? So there's lots of different facets of, of why someone might want to leave. And it's about unfolding those and uncovering those to be able to, to kind of really gain further insight. Yeah, some really interesting points there. Thanks, Shivali. I, I used to do quite a bit of uh, work with Computer Weekly, and we used to, in a previous life, the business side, and we used to produce their yearly tech surveys around what people wanted in the, in the tech industry. Um, and I don't think it's changed too much. And I think what, one of the, the key things was always that when people are deciding to look for a new position, when they've actually said, I'm definitely leaving, then salary is really, really important. But it's typically not one of the main reasons people leave. The, typical, the, the thing that triggers people is usually, like you're saying, around that lack of communication, bad manager or bad relationship with the manager um, no, no idea where they're going with their career not flexible working so I, I believe that stat of the 68 percent you know of people who did leave could have been retained and I think there's lots of things companies can do but you have to tap into what is it people want listen to them find out what they need and hopefully implement it um, Francesca what, 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 are your, what are your thoughts around that on the workforce analytics and maybe even reducing turnover I think for me everything Shafali has um, said really plays into you know, it's so important to build such a strong relationship between people and talent. Occasionally, you know, the, the departments are working as one, sometimes they're a bit siloed. Um, and I think as you grow as a company, or maybe for part of a larger company, it would be very easy for the two to be siloed, and to focus on different metrics. But everything <laughs> affects the other, I would say. So things like employee surveys, um, incredibly important if if certain departments are, are not very happy or perhaps there is a low performance why is that and I think it's very important that talent find out what could happen there what is the potential what can we change and I think equally with talent there's a lot of data and information that we are exposed to on a daily basis typically I'd say you know wider market trends are we seeing oh certain companies you know are kind of <laughs> falling apart or, or maybe it's you know comp in the market is changing what's happening there that I think a lot of um, people in HR professionals might not have as good an overview of um, just because they're not necessarily <laughs> reading about talent news every single day um, like we are and I think that is that is hugely important because it really gives you like you say um was it computer weekly the series you did um previously they are so interesting to find out why our employees moving it changes um year on year and i think especially over the last few years with covid and more flexible working etc and the cost of living crisis it's quite fascinating to see why things are changing and to bring that knowledge into the organization Absolutely. And I think um, it reminds me, I ran a, I had a podcast episode last year, which got quite a lot of commentary with, it was with Tim Sackett and Tim, the title of it really was why talent acquisition should be involved with retention. And uh, quite a few people pushed back, said, no, 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 TA is about getting people in. It's not about keeping people there. But I think in this market right now, if I'm working in a permanent job in, in TA, and I know obviously there's a mixture of experience in, in this room here because you're, you're working talent and people roles. But if your role is TA, I'm going to be looking to get involved as many parts of business as I can and using my data and my influence to, to work with the people side, the HR side, the marketing side, anything. Because that, that, that kind of getting involved in those other elements of the business in terms of as well as especially what's keeping people in the business is hopefully going to be what might be the reason which 
keeps you in the business later on. And, you know, we, we obviously know many good people on the market right now. Luke, um, anything for you on the workforce analytics piece of retention? Yeah, I, I agree with, with everything that's been said so far. I think really good points. And I think people always talk about this when, you know, if you sit down and read a textbook or if you have an interview for, for one of the roles that the, the three of us do, the four of us do, um, you talk about the life cycle of, of people and talent. And, you, you know, you talk about how, you, you know, you operate in all of them um, and how you add so much value to all of them. And, and I think it's sometimes quite uh, easy to forget that it is, it's a hygiene thing with talent. It's, it's about all the way from the beginning to the very end. Um, and once you have people in, in, in the business, which is, I think we've, we've spoken about um, quite a lot already, once you've got them in, it's then, you know, the things that you've discussed prior to them joining, the motivations that you understood from the interview process, but also a continuation. Like one of the things that I brought in uh, almost immediately was um, PDPs into this business because there wasn't before. And there was a lot of just great, really talented, you know, high performing people who would just cracking on doing an amazing job as they still do now but it was like but what's next you know where are you going to go after this you know let's let's create some uh paths or um dare i say ladder it's more of a, a jungle gym isn't it your your career but you know that because that is a big part of how how you keep people infused engaged in the business um one of the things just very quickly that i looked into at simply business um sounds like i had a lot of free time but we actually got to a point where we were looking at this um very unique thing which i believe was written by uh, one of the big four i think it might have been deloitte around a, a group of people that are called captives and this was actually interestingly written before covid but it was never more pre prevalent than during covid times and now probably given the state of the market as well for ta and people professionals it's even bigger and it's this idea that you have people who on the surface they're happy they kind of do a job or you know the job that's labeled out but they're never going to blow you away and they're not the people that are going to really you know if you're a scaling business they're not going to be the ones that take you there there'll be others that do that for you i'm not a big fan of that a b c d and one two threes and fours because I, I think that's probably written by people who think they're one a's or a ones or whatever that whatever it's called but i do genuinely believe and we looked at the data at simply business and there was a scary amount of people that we given a few different factors and, and different metrics that we put into place, tenure, you know, how long typically people leave and the, and the, the kind of the quality of those people that leave within those certain timeframes within different departments. Um, we saw that I think it was something around like 30% of people really probably should have moved on. And when you look at why that is, it's because of, to Shafali's point, you have all these different kind of columns, you know, are the benefits good? Yes. You know, um, is the salary good? Yes. Have they, you know, how much work, you know, how much work does this person do? What's the impact that they have? It's good. But then other things are neglected because you see these kind of things, you know, people are staying. That's great. You know, someone's done 10 years, someone's done 15 years. This is amazing. But when you look at the the kind of the market data, you, you take like a step back and look at what's going on outside of your business. You go, is that actually the best thing for us? We're trying to hit this big milestone. We're trying to take this next big step as a business. And that's what will happen if, if you don't kind of keep up the hygiene. The first thing is getting people in. Then it's about keeping them engaged and fused. But if you kind of drop off, you stop doing PDPs after a year, or you stop giving you know promotions or doing an annual review, you'll quickly find this kind of subgroup within your organization, again, that don't move on. And when, when the push does come to shove and, and you've got these hard times like we have now, these are probably the people that get hit first for no fault of their own, as I say, doing the job, building their profile in the same way that 
some might because of this neglect that, that often happens in terms of the aftercare once someone's in a business. And I, I would put that down to a combination of the manager, people team, you know, and, and as you said, Paul, if you can bring uh, TA professionals into that to give a perspective of what they're hearing on the market, what people are saying when they want to join the company, it would just, I think, eradicate that as, as a problem a lot, a lot quicker. Yeah, absolutely agree. TA are the eyes and ears of the market and, and both externally and internally. So absolutely with you on that. Thanks, Lou. Um, Francesca, um, moving on, what are some innovative ways to measure and communicate the effectiveness of, of, of DNI initiatives in terms of business performance and, and uh, innovation? Gosh, I think there it's a big question. <laughs> there are so many um, different ways that I think you can look at it. I think um, personally, I like to see um, I like to measure this success rate on kind of a quarterly and an annual basis. I think you do need that longer amount of time in some cases to see the impact. Um, but I think in terms of DNI, I think looking at some of the major benefits that we state all the time, and this is why we are, you know, putting this emphasis on DNI, you know, it, it is to encourage diversity of thought. It is to encourage, you know, reduce employee turnover and, improve um, financial performance of the business. Let's look at all of those stats as well once we've actually hopefully managed to accomplish some of our goals in hiring for DNI. Um, I think one thing for me is looking at the performance of teams. Um, so usually I like to set you know a goal and it might be focused on a certain aspect of DNI, whether it's gender, whether it's ethnicity or or whatever it could be. Um, it might be certain departments. Okay, so we've we've obviously we've hired, we've gone out, hopefully we've succeeded. What's been the impact of that maybe a year on? And it might take that amount of time to see the difference as well. It could be a case of has the overall happiness score improved of the team or has it uh, has anyone been promoted in the team who who has been promoted um i think there's so many different ways to measure it um and i think it can get a bit overwhelming actually but i think it's really really important to look at the success rate that you've had so you can use it obviously in the future to show okay we did xyz and, and this is the result and it was great um so those are just a few a few thoughts coming to, to my mind off the bat Thank you very much. Shafali, anything on the on the DEI side? Yeah, this is this is probably one of my favorite topics. I'm I'm really, really passionate about um, kind of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um and, and there's never been such a strong case, like more than now uh, ever. Um, you know, whether that be kind of right at the top of a business, kind of having um a diverse group of execs kind of making decisions on the table. Um and, and it's so obvious why. Um, you know, this is important. But of course, you know, just to state a few, it's it's that diversity of thought. It's it's going to be um, kind of having that return of investment in, in revenue um, and kind of um, making decisions. And one of the examples that I love talking about is um, I think it was Apple. At one point, their product team was all male um, and I believe they released an iPhone that was so large that it didn't even kind of comfortably fit into a woman's hand. And this is such a great example. And I, th I think there's a few more. I think there's a seatbelt example by um, one of the car manufacturers as well. And these are really kind of tangible examples that you can provide to stakeholders to say, 
this is why we need a diverse team. This is not just talking about gender. This is not just talking about ethnicity. This is talking about every kind of aspect and facet of um, diversity so that we are able to serve our clients and customers and in our instance, our patients accordingly. Um, and, and that example about Apple is fantastic because it just goes to show that having an all-male product team really didn't work out well for them for that particular release. Um, and, and similarly, there's going to be business kind of use cases um, for, for each and every business, um, you know, as to why it's pivotal and important. Um, but, but certainly kind of at that exec level, those people making the decisions in a room, um, it, it's, it's really important. And you know, of course, there are lots of data um, and, and metrics around this. I think McKinsey released um, McKinsey releases a yearly report. Um, I think the last one last year was about you know a significant amount of um, many businesses were set a goal to to have an, at least sixty percent or I think it was fifty five percent of their um, kind of advisors board or senior execs to be women. Um, so, so these are important stats released by companies. Um, in order to, to have that serious gain. And I think the real struggle for startups, um, and, and I'd love to hear from kind of colleagues and, and peers on this, is kind of convincing senior stakeholders, C-level founders as to the real day-to-day -day importance um, of celebrating certain milestones, of having kind of hiring um, in, in certain bandwidths. Um, it, it's not necessarily kind of an immediate ROI like Francesca alluded to. It, it can take um, perhaps even a number of years to demonstrate the benefits of having a diverse team. And even if it's not towards the product or to customers directly, I think there is um, a great thing that can be said around employee engagement and happiness when there is a diverse school of thought. Um, but there's still questions around how to convince and, and you know, I think this is an ongoing conversation between many talent leaders of, um, you know, uh, of our day as to how to put that at the forefront of hiring amongst other subjects. Fantastic. Thanks, Shafali. Luke, anything to add on that on Shafali's point or the original question? Yeah, I, I've, uh, to be fair, like the two of them have, have answered it perfectly. And I, I think the, the only bits I would have left is the bit around, uh, you know, equity in terms of like people feeling like they have a, a stake in the business or they feel like they have an impact in the business. Again, very easy to achieve the smaller the company you are, hopefully. Um, harder to do once you, you scale up and you, you get big. Um, the other thing I'd, I'd probably add is, is, you know, you really want, you know, the proof in the pudding when people actually come into your interview process, when people join the business, they want to see the things that you talk about and you celebrate. I think it's very easy, especially with, you know, hu humongous businesses to, you know, put up, um, you know, a flag or to say that we're celebrating something or we recognize something or we're aware of something. You need to get into those businesses and the more exposure you can give to someone in the process to see this, you know, we actually mean what we say. You know, we're very fortunate as a business that we're, we're global and we've got a number of cultures, number of different religious backgrounds as well that we have in the organization. Um, and we do something called human updates, um, which is an opportunity for teams to present 
each individual in the team again very hard if you're a massive company but um to talk about what they do not just about you know um hobbies and other things like that but for our for our team in india you know we're blessed here in the uk we see all these amazing festivities that they have all these different celebrations that they have which you know in, you know we, we know what it's like in the uk it's like oh, thank god there's a bank holiday whereas you know for them it, it's just a completely different outlook and once you learn about one another and you share that you know those experiences and we've you know, created that culture where people feel confident to do that. You know, we had um, one person with us previously um, who would share a lot about um, Judaism and, and you know, all the different things that they were doing, the sacrifices they were making. And, all, and it was great. And, you know, people really wanted to understand that and ask questions about that in a room of, you know, 30 people. Whereas, you know, other places it, it can be a bit more of like a dare I say it, like a virtual signal, virtue signal. So I think if you live it, breathe it, it's so easy for then the rest to come. And I, I think, you know, Shafali's point around convincing people is a really big one. I think the more you can do and the smaller steps you can take, you know, um, funding, you know, a group of people that are maybe from a particular culture or, or um, ethnic background, I've seen a lot of that, like we had um, a South Asian um, group in Simply Business. We also had um, a, we also had like um our uh, Black History Month as well that was carried out simply business and these groups where people come in and they share experiences as well which are sometimes a little bit more um, emotional than perhaps uh, some of the other things that you would celebrate it's all part of it and I think it makes it a lot more real so I think if you can live it breathe it and not just kind of talk about it externally it's it's a massive win for any business yeah it needs to be 100% authentic absolutely Um, agree with that Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks all. So, um, Luke, I'll stay with you on this one, actually. So how can, I suppose I want to look at how TA can work well with other parts of the business. So how can TA professionals work collaboratively with other departments to align talent strategies with the overall business objectives? And then how can this cross-functional approach be highlighted to investors or or key stakeholders? Yeah, very good question. Big question. Um, I think, I think that you can start off at home. I think Francesca said this before is that, you know, as a people team, it can become very siloed. Um, And I think it's very easy when you've got a lot of roles to hand, you know, maybe you're working on 10 plus roles at any given time to just say, that's my focus because, you know, that's what I'm going to be judged on. I think you really have to lean into the team around you, the the experts that you have, and and also communicate that. So um, when I've worked in a bigger people team, the the one at Simply Business was like 30 plus people just in the UK. Um, That's made up of benefits, payroll. um, It's made up of people operations, all these different great places. I think the more touch points you can have is just one way of, of concreting the professionalism and the maturity of the people team. So then when you go out to the rest of the business, whether that's one-to-one with a hiring manager, whether it's um, presenting to uh, the executive team, whatever it might be, you've already done all the hard graft. Because I think what a lot of the time can do is you can get kind of caught up and you can slip up in progressing really quickly with one of these um, kind of um, silos within the people team. And then the rest isn't on board or that, you know, they haven't got your buying. So I think it's always about kind of starting at home and then, and then slowly progressing, taking that out. Um, 
And I would just say, you know, as, as a talent professional, one of the things that I, I loved when I first started at Simply Business was I'd go to every town hall, I'd go sit in a product pod and listen to what they're working on. I'll go spend some time, you know, sitting around the more commercial areas where they talk about deals, deal sizes, potential clients. And then I would just, you know, as anyone should, piece that into my sales pitch for, for you know, because those numbers change all the time. You don't want to say, oh, you know, we're trying to get x amount of customers and then when you know you're talking about something that's a year old you know and, and it, it it's kind of a bit stagnant so always always try and kind of just um you know increase your knowledge of the business what's going on don't don't get too um stuck behind with the last announcement or the last goal always keep on top of things because that's one thing i found that you know uh, going from agency to internal all these things are just at your fingertips and people want to give it to you. You know, people love talking about what they do for a living, right? People love telling you how great the thing that they're working is on. Let them do it and then use the bits that you want to use. And that that will take you very, very far, I think. Thanks, Luke. Francesca, what do you think? I'd agree. And I think, I think maybe taking it to the next step is driving those cross-functional projects as well. Um, I think sometimes teams they want to work with you but aren't necessarily sure how to work with talent outside of I'm hiring for a role now and I need you <laughs> um I think that might be a case of maybe it's engineering and product I'm going to take a stab in the dark and, and think that they are pretty data driven themselves it's it's likely that they'll be interested to see your talent metrics and how you can work together in that sense maybe more than other, any other department and or whether it's marketing and um thinking about how we can partner up on employer branding and, and getting to know just how we can work together more across the year. What are their goals? What are our goals? Um, I think I think that's something that um, can sometimes be underestimated when it comes to talent. Um, like like Luke and, and, and Shafali have both said, you know, it's not just about <laughs> just filling the roles and, and then leaving for the day. It is becoming a crucial part of the business. And I think being involved as well in that strategic planning at a high level is is crucial so you can understand what what are the objectives here it's not yes it is to fill fill seats but it is um so much more than that as well so that's that's what i would say fantastic and, and shafali what's your, what's your thoughts on that yeah i mean it, it's a combination of what francesca and luke have have already said and, and echo um what they've said it's this combination of um, looking at all the different business departments um, and how talent outside of hiring can collaborate. So, so marketing, employer branding, I'm working with finance at the moment to do a people plan for the, every single department. And that's um, for, for every single kind of uh, quarter left. Um, we've got a project ongoing at the moment with our clinical function to understand um, pipelining. So um, we're, we're in the business of um, providing clinicians to, to patients and, and connecting the two. Um, but with sales, we don't necessarily understand at the moment what's in their pipeline. So it's collaborating finance, clinical finance and um, talent and, and the four of us culminating together to understand what pipeline should look like um, and, um, you know, where the budgets need to align um, we're aligning with commercial and with marketing on employee swag. And, and so there's so many different collaborations um, 
where we're talking to um, kind of every single department now about exit interviews. And um, at the moment, that's something I conduct. But what we are really keen to do is to ensure all the messages from exit interviews then get sent back to each and every department so that, again, a talent audit, a skills gap um, can be curated from that. So, so they all kind of the communication of all departments is centralized, in, in my opinion, by kind of um, people and talent. And it's a, it's a constant cycle um, that, that kind of keeps on running, um, especially within those kind of core teams that, that all are dependent, they're codependent on each other. So that's really important. Fantastic. Well, look, I think that brings us to the top of the hour. And thank you, you three, for this conversation. I think we've, we've talked a lot about talent metrics and commercial metrics. We've also talked about other things as well. It's been a real a medley, a lovely medley of a conversation. I think it's really um, going to help anyone listening to this to get better at, better at their role in terms of the company they're working in or with. So thank you so much. Um, thank you for locking on and listening to us today. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking around how to support neurodivergent talent in the workplace. So do, do tune in for that. Uh, but again, thank you to our speakers today and uh, I'll see everyone next week. Thank you. Thank you.